You're listening to the preaching podcast from Regency Baptist Church, located in Loomis, California, in the greater Sacramento region. We pray that you'll be blessed by this Bible-based message. And it's also our desire that you'll be helped with this message in your personal walk with Jesus and strengthened in your commitment to serve Him daily. Let's turn to Psalm 85 in our Bibles. And if you'll stand as we read the scripture this evening, this is the revival psalm. The revival psalm. And I pray that we'll see some very important aspects, ingredients, if you will, on on what revival really is all about in the Word of God. Psalm 85, verse number 1. If we could read this together, it's only 13 verses. They're all pretty short. Psalm 85, verse number 1. Let's read this all together if we could. Ready? Begin. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Our fathers, we come to you tonight. I pray that you'd stir us. Father, I pray that we'd have a a heart and a learning as The psalmist did here when he cried, Lord, wilt thou revive us again? Father, may that be our prayer. May that be our desire tonight. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, and we ask this in your name, amen. You may be seated. Tonight I want to preach to you on this subject, a prayer for revival. We read the revival psalm tonight in Psalm 85. There's a song in our songbook entitled, Revive Us Again. You're probably familiar with it, but the song has a, a pretty powerful backstory. There was a, a preacher's boy, his name was William McKay, and he grew up in a preacher's home. He grew up in a Christian home, going to church, the routine of the Christian life, like a lot of you kids are blessed with. Maybe some of you weren't given that, maybe some of you were, but for him, it never became real. Can I say that for every young person, it has to become real for you at some point? In other words, just because you've been raised in church doesn't mean you're automatically right with God. It doesn't mean you're automatically close to God. It definitely doesn't mean you have a close relationship with God just because you're familiar with the ins and outs of when to stand and when to sit down. And that was this man, William McKay. When he was a boy, his mother gave him a Bible and she wrote, his name, and she wrote a verse and a note in the flyleaf of that Bible. Well, well, he grew up, and 
didn't feel called to ministry, really didn't want to be involved in church really in, in any way, and, and, and got into the medical field. He, he went to medical school, and as he grew, he drifted further and further and further away from God. He started to drink heavily. He started to get really addicted to alcohol, even to the point that he took the Bible that his mother gave him, and he pawned it off to get money to get another drink. Eventually, that man graduated and was uh, tasked to be assigned to the emergency room in a, in a hospital. And in the emergency room, he, he saw all kinds of different situations. And that's a very trying place to work, seeing people go through really difficult times of their life. He saw some that were Christians, and they held to their faith. And he said, oh, I've, I've seen that before. I'm, I'm used to it. I've grown up in it. And so it, it was very familiar to him. He saw those that were away from God. Well, one night in particular, there was a man that had fallen off some scaffolding and was sent into the emergency room, and his situation was looking very bleak. He, he got hurt very, very badly. And they began to ask him, they said, do you have any family? Do you have any loved ones? Do you have any, anybody close that we can contact? And he, he said, I don't. He said, the only person that really knows me, the only person I have a relationship with is, is, is my landlady at the apartment where I live. And he said, if you would, he said, would you call her? And he said, tell, tell her to bring me the book. And he said, well, what book are you talking about? He said, she'll, she'll know. Just ask her to bring me the book. And sure enough, she, she brought his Bible. And so William McKay, he took his Bible to that young man in the hospital. He said he'd go by the room of that young man. He said he was reading and reading and reading and reading. And he said when, when pain would rise and he couldn't read anymore, he'd get his Bible and he'd, he'd hold it close to himself and he'd just hold it tight and he'd pray and he'd sing and he'd, he'd talk to God. And he said, man, that young man's testimony, it, it, it stirred my heart and it, and it re really got to me and it, it pricked me. That young man eventually passed away. And they had that Bible and said, well, what are we going to do with this Bible? <clears throat> and they said, well, there's, there's no really close family of his. No one that we know, no contact, so I guess we can just donate it to somebody, get rid of it. I, I don't know, just we'll, we'll give it somewhere. And William said, well, well, hey, I'll take it. And he went to his office, and he opened the flyleaf, and sure enough, it was the Bible that his mother had bought for him. And he opened the flyleaf, and it was his name and the verse that his mother had written. He began to weep and think about how far he had drifted away from God, so much so that he pawned off that Bible that that young man somehow got through one way or another purchasing it. And his soul stirred back to the things of God from that experience in his life. And he eventually, through his story, wrote that hymn, Revive Us Again. Revive Us Again. You know, it's interesting when you hear stories like that to understand how, how easy it is to let the life get away from you. To let your spiritual walk get away from you. We can have everything handed to us, and yet we still grow calloused and, and turn away from God. And I pray, Lord, not really to have a testimony like that where, where we drift so far away that our young people would not drift so far away that it would take some, some earth-shattering experience for somebody to wake up and turn back to the Lord. The, the psalmist prays here, and he says in verse number 6, Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? You could say it like this, Lord, 
Would you not do something again in our midst so we can praise your name and say, look, look what God did. God said, you've come to a point where I, I have to cross my arms because I can't bless you. And I can't answer your prayers. And I can't work in you because you've gotten so engulfed in sin. And can I say tonight that it's going to take somebody getting on their knees saying, Lord, wilt thou revive me again that I may rejoice in thee? There was an old evangelist who said, as long as we don't want to have revival, we won't. He also said the church right now has more fashion than passion. It's more pathetic than prophetic. And it's more superficial than it is supernatural. So, so what is the prayer for revival? This is a prayer that I hope each of us would pray and keep in our hearts over the next couple of nights. Maybe this is a prayer that if you ever feel like you're drifting away from God, and I don't know about you, but I've been saved since I was a boy and I've been raised in church. There's been many a times where I've needed to get back and get right with God. And can I say that it's helpful to know where to go in the Word of God and to say, you know what, I, I need Psalm 85 today. Or I need Psalm 51, that prayer of God forgive me, my confession and transgression is ever before thee. And so we get to that place, hey, here's a psalm that we can go to, a, a prayer that we see of somebody that was in the same boat that said, Lord, we need revival. We see, first of all, a prayer of the past. <clears throat> a prayer of the past. If there's one thing we can learn in Scripture from the Hebrew people, the chosen people of God that He led out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and into the wilderness, if we can see just one area that they failed, they forgot. They forgot what God had done in their past. You read the Old Testament, God had to remind them. <clears throat> Did you forget how I saved you from the land of Egypt? <clears throat> Did you forget how I saved you when you were living in bondage? Did you forget the miracle of God that it took to save your soul? Did you forget the bloodshed that was required to bring you out of Egypt? Did you forget that after you followed me, the miracles I did to prove that I'm God and I'm real? I'm here to wonder, friend, have we forgotten? Have we forgotten what God has done? We see verse number one, that they're told to remember the favor of God. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Can you think back and remember the day that you got saved? This morning I was able to talk to a young man that came to our church, said, first day I've ever been in church in my entire life, and accepted Christ as personal Savior. Hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For some it was today. For some it was a week ago. For some it was a couple months ago. For some it was years ago. But whenever you got saved... Never forget it. Never forget it. Lord, you showed favor on me when I didn't deserve it. I, I was a sinner destined to hell, and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I prayed and asked, Lord, you'd forgive me and, and to put my faith and trust in you. Hey, God, you've been good. You've been good. We ought to remember the favor and goodness and salvation that God has given. We ought to remember the forgiveness of God. Verse 2, he says, thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered, I like this, all their sin. Selah. Can I remind you, when you got saved, you didn't get some of your sins forgiven. You got all your sins forgiven. I mean, past, present, and future. And he said, Lord, help us not to forget 
how much we've been forgiven because we have sinned so much. Remember the forgiveness of God. Remember verse number three, we see that we ought to remember the fierceness of God. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. In other words, God, you could have stepped on us. You could have wiped us out. Lord, you could have done away with us. God, you could have kicked me to the curb a long time ago. But you didn't. You didn't. You turned your fierceness away from us. Hey, we do good to remember as Christians how good God has been in our lives. Can I say when we remember, we think different. Our faith is different. Our joy is different. I think there's something telling about being in church with Christians who, who want to sing, who have to sing, and who don't sing. The Bible tells us this, that singing is an expression of being filled with the Spirit of God. I don't believe that you can be right with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and not have some kind of a song in your heart. The Bible speaks about the, the prayers and the rejoicing and the, and, the, and the praise of God through song. And a lot of it was this, remembering the past of what God has done. That's what most of our songbook is. It's about getting saved. It's about the goodness of God. It's about God delivering us from iniquity, from, from, from bringing us through the storms and, and hardships of life. That's a lot of what we sing about. We sing about all that God has done. So revival really begins with this, a prayer of the past. Number two, a prayer of the present. Verses four through seven, we see several aspects of this. He says, remembering all of those things, verse four, Turn us. Turn us. That's revival. God, turn me. Change me. Move me. In other words, I don't like where I'm heading. What we're doing right now, it's not enough. God, turn us, O God of our salvation. And cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? We can see here that he understood there was a corruption. He said, we used to be right with God, but we're just not where we used to be. <clears throat> we used to be excited to come to church as a family, but we're just not where we used to be. I used to love reading the Bible and, and learning new truths and <clears throat> underlining passages or, or memorizing Scripture, but, but I'm just not where I, I used to be. Man, I used to pray every day, and anytime there was a decision to be made in life, I got on my knees and I begged for the wisdom of God. I, I used to ask for counsel. I used to look to people that I look up to and say, would you give me godly wisdom and counsel and direction? I, I used to, but there's been a corruption. He says, Lord, we need to be changed because we've corrupted ourselves. That there was a need for a change. He said, turn us. Can I say this tonight, that revival will never happen if you are not willing to identify the specific areas of your life that need it? Revival will never happen if we're vague about it. Well, I just want to get close to God. Great. How do we do that? What sins do you need to turn away from? What areas do we need to get back to? 
For some, it's as simple as, 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 as giving. Or it's as simple as obeying the command of just, just be in church. Or reading your Bible daily. For some, it might be a besetting sin that's absolutely going to ruin your life if you don't get a hold of it. I, I can't tell you what it is, but I do believe that if you're letting God speak to you, then you probably know exactly what it is. It might be one, it might be two, it might be three. And I don't know if we need to focus on a laundry list of things, but I, I believe this. It's probably a handful or a couple decisions that would drastically change our lives if we allowed God to change us. That there's a need for change. You need to change to get close to Him. You see, a revival isn't about God getting closer to us. It's about us getting closer to God. It's not about God meeting us on our terms. It's about me getting to the place where I say, God, what, what do I have to do to get close to you? Lord, what, what do I have to do to be worthy to be close to you? Lord, what, what do I need to do to get that restoration back to where I need to be? Hosea 14.7 puts it this way. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. He says it's those that dwell under his shadow. So it's those that are close to him. Those that say, whatever I need to do, I just need to get close to God. And it's not about God coming to my territory, but me changing what's necessary in my life to get close to him. There has to be a need for a change. Can I say this, that there needs to be confession? There has to be confession. He says, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, Lord. God, you deserve to be angry with us. God, we, we deserved to be punished. But Lord, I pray this, that you'll revive us so we can glorify in you once again. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Because it's confession that leads to repentance. Can you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 7? 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. There's a really good principle that we find in these verses that teach us about the heart of man and how it turns close to God as we get right with Him. And in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10, he says, Now I rejoice, <clears throat> not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. So Paul said this, I'm glad that you wept on your knees before God. I'm glad that God broke you. I'm thankful that you got convicted of your sin and felt a little uncomfortable. I'm glad that you had to have that one-on-one -on -one with God that just says, Lord, I messed up. God, I have erred. I, I have not been what I should be. I have not been doing what I should be doing. He says, I rejoice. I'm not rejoicing that you feel bad. And I'm not rejoicing that you got down. I'm not trying to kick you while you're down. I'm rejoicing because that's the only way you're going to change. It's godly sorrow that worketh repentance. The only way we're going to get right is by facing our sin and saying, this is wrong, this needs to change, we need to get past it, put it under the blood, 
leave it under the blood, and go on and live for God. Not revisit it. By the way, not have other people revisit it. Well, yeah, you've you just been doing that all the time. Isn't it amazing how people get right with God and yet we play God for them? Remind them of their sins. Remind them of who they are and what they used to be like we're not all in the same boat. I just believe this, that revival is very personal. It's not about what you need to do, it's about what I need to do. And I'm preaching to you tonight, but God stirred my heart with this as much as anybody. Can I just say that the only way to change, there has to be confession. You could say this, you have to get very uncomfortable with God. Very uncomfortable with God. Now watch this. You can hide your sin from me. You, you might even be able to hide it from your spouse, your loved ones, your leaders, your parents. But we know that God knows everything. We know that he's all-knowing. And watch this. We try to act like he doesn't know anyways. I mean, who do we think that we're fooling? God says, I know, you know, and you understand that there's nothing between us would you just confess so we can get it right? Would you just put it under the blood so we can move on and live for God? Can I say, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a little bit humiliating. And I'm glad that you don't have to confess before the church and before pastor for every sin you've committed. Lord knows, I don't want to hear every sin that you've committed. And you don't want to hear every sin that I've committed. But it takes confession. Godly sorrow to have repentance. Lord knows I've wept many times before the Lord and just saying, God, I don't, I don't even understand. God, why you're not just done with me. I don't get it. God, why, why, why did you give me another chance? I don't, I don't deserve it. None of us do. And I, I've felt so humiliated so many times in my prayer closet just saying, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you with this sin again. God, I'm so ashamed that I haven't gotten this right by now. I'm, I'm ashamed that I haven't conquered this by now. But Lord, I don't want to keep this between me. I want to be close to the Lord. So to do that, I've got to confess and put it under the blood and, and, and for the sake that we can go on. A prayer for the present. Number three, we see a prayer of potential. A prayer of potential. I believe you could put it this way. It's like putting yourself in a place where we say, okay, Lord, I want to see you work and, and I'm going to put myself in a place where you can work. It's almost like putting a plant in the sunlight or putting it where it can get water or we can get all the different elements that it needs. We wouldn't put a plant that needs sunlight in a closet and expect it to grow. There's no potential with that. Well, I just think we're going to try it this way because it's the new way. Well, the new way stinks. <laughs> There's a lot of things about Christianity that, that's new that just, it stinks. It stinks to high heaven. You know what? We, we don't need smoke screens to have revival. We, we don't need some big emotional service to have revival. We, we, don't need, we, we don't need a lot of the flash to have revival. We can meet outside for all that it matters. Now we got AC and heat, so might as well use it. I mean, praise the Lord. But we don't need any of that stuff to have revival. It's like we're, we're almost depending on the new stuff to move the hand of God in our church. God never said, I'll build the church when the social media age comes. Because, man, that's a tool that's going to reach people. And people have come that said, we read your website or we saw you on Facebook and praise the Lord. But we don't need that to have revival. We, we don't need to have the, the padded, by the way, freshly clean chairs in church. 
cost a fortune. I'm sorry, Ms. Sipu, but hey, we, we don't need all that stuff, but, but it helps, and we praise the Lord for it, but can I just say this, that we need to put ourselves in the place where God can move. I like what he says here, verse number 8. He says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. So he said, this is what I'm going to do. In order for God to work, I'm going to determine this, that when God speaks, I'm going to listen. Pretty simple. But how many of us, we come to church and we say, Lord, what are you speaking to me about? God, I, I want to listen. And I want to hear. I, I want what you have for me. How many of you have tried to talk to somebody and say, hey, hey, uh, and you call their name and you say, are, are you listening? I wonder if God looks down and says, anybody listening? <laughs> anybody want to hear the Lord work? Can you imagine being in that town? The Bible says as Jesus went through, it says he did not many wonderful works because of their unbelief. Can you imagine how sad it is to know that the Son of God walked through your town ready to do a miracle, but everybody was just too busy, too involved, too responsible. I understand that maybe they not have been doing things sinful, but they certainly weren't listening for the voice of God. They weren't looking for God to work. We talked about that hunger, that thirst for God to speak. He said this, God, if you speak to me, I'm going to listen. I want to listen. You have to make the determination that you will listen. Watch this. Before he speaks. Before. God, whatever, whatever's preached from the pulpit, that, that's Bible. God, I want it. And Lord, whatever you speak to me about in my Bible today, God, I want it. I don't know what it is that I'm about to read right now, but just Lord, I want to listen to whatever it is that you're going to speak to me about today, right now. I want what you have for me. That's the potential. Too many come with the, I'm not going to listen. And you're here in your body, but you're not listening. Some of you young people, you're here, but you're not listening. And you think you're fooling everybody, you're fooling nobody. And it's not everybody else that's the fool, it's you that's the fool. And I say that because that's a Bible word. And it breaks my heart to see people that are given an opportunity to serve God and then spit in the face of their parents and people that care about them and love them and have prayed for them because you are too selfish to see anything else. And I'm not against you. And I, I absolutely, and they're not all my kids. We, we have a lot of kids in school. But man, I, I love, I love our young people. Man, I love chapel and, and, and going to the classes and going to, sometimes I'll just walk out on break time. Just kids are, kids are, kids are fun. They're just fun. And I love the young people in our church. But it infuriates me to see those. And it, you can see the path they're walking on headed to destruction, and everybody around is just saying, please, would you just listen? Just listen. We're here for you. We love you, but, but you know where you're going. You got life figured out, don't you? It's, it's, hey, this show's been played over and over before. He said, God, if you speak to me, I'm, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. Man, I, I know that I was not the perfect teenager by any means, there's one person that can attest to that. It's Pastor Nichols. Another one's Brother Davis, my youth pastor. But I know this, that if, if they pulled me aside, I was listening. Sometimes my heart wasn't right. But I loved them enough that when they talked to me, I said, I'm, I'm going to listen to my pastor. 
I'm going to listen to my youth pastor. I'm going to listen to my parents. I'm going to listen to the people God put in my life. I don't always have a right heart. Will you determine to listen to God? He says, I will hear. Verse number 9, I will be holy. Surely His salvation is nigh them, watch this, that fear Him. That glory may dwell in your land. The Bible still says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, it's the fear of God that draws us close to Him. It's the fear of God that causes us to talk different and dress different and listen to different music and, and read a different book and to live a different life and to, and to give our lives to different things in the world. It's the fear of God that says, I want to please Him and I'm scared to miss out on His blessings and I don't want to put myself in the way of wrath of God. I have a, a fear and a respect of the Lord, so I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to live in a way that pleases and honors God. It's almost like we, we don't even think about it. It takes somebody to come and say, hey, wh why are you doing this? Oh, I... I didn't even think about it. And thank the Lord for people that point that out. Again, I've, I've been there a time or two myself, more often than I'd like to admit. But we need the fear of God back in our hearts. We need the fear of the Lord that says, God, if you're going to work, then I can't be entangled with, with every kind of sin. I can't have my heart and my mind and my life so gripped by the things of this world. God's not going to use that. I'll listen, God, when you speak. And Lord, I'll determine to be holy, to be Christ-like, to be a true disciple. And then lastly, we see number four, the product of the prayer. And don't miss this. This is so powerful. And if I could say it this way, this is exciting. This is why we come to church. This is why we have a revival meeting. Because of what God does with the heart of people this kind of a desire to see the Lord work. For the first product, verses 10 and 11, we see this, that people start to live right. People start to live right. Verse number 10, it says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. We see sin having a heyday in our world. And God says, man, when people turn... People start living right. It's the first product. Your life changes. You live differently. Your life is about something, something that's changed now. The product of the prayer is, it's not just your heart, it's your life. It's your actions. Please don't buy into the modern Christianity lie that God only cares about the inside. I believe there's a process to Christian growth. God stirs us from the inside, but the inside will have an effect on the outside. God will affect my life, and He'll affect where I go and what I do. All of those things are a product, and I want to live right because I have a heart and a desire to serve Him. Verse number 10, we see this, that people live right. Another product is this, that people join together. Verse 10, mercy and truth are met together. So there, there, there's a thought of unity. When revival comes, I believe if we see a revival in our church as we draw close to the Lord, we're going to draw close to one another. God wants nothing more than to pit the people in this church against one another. Sometimes us Christians can get so petty about who's serving with who and 
who got to be a part of that and who got the limelight in there. Do you think we can keep up with all of that stuff? If you're holding the standard of leadership in this church to, well, make sure that everybody has the same amount of, of, of platform time that's singing and everyone's involved in the same amount of different ministries and everyone gets the same amount of, you know, recognitions from the pulpit. If you're keeping score, we'll lose every time. We'll lose. And that's exactly what Satan wants. We can't keep up with that. If we're fighting, we're not doing anything for the Lord. So what's a product of revival? We, we unify. And we find harmony. And we pray with one another and say, maybe I don't know you real well, and our personalities might be different, but, but I love you because you're a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And you might not be family by blood, but we're family by His blood, amen? And we can join together for this, that we are both serving him, and we're serving in this church. I thank the Lord for churches across the state and across America and across the world, but my desire is not to unify with somebody on social media in some other state or some other church that, that's thousands or hundreds of miles away, and I'm glad for it. Hey, I'm thankful for a Pastor Terry Angel that will come and hope to have unity with Christians like that, but my desire is Regency Baptist Church because this is the place that God has placed me and my family and I just don't get our day where we don't want to unify with everybody outside of our church, but we don't want to unify with the people inside of our church. That doesn't make sense to me. But that's modern Christianity. Do you know why that's hard? Because you see the faults with the people you serve with. Social media is a highlight reel. You understand that, right? We, we don't post about, well, some people do. You shouldn't. <laughs> we don't post about the bad days, having a bad day today. I mean, what do you say to that? Come on. Love one another or something, I don't know. Number next, Psalm 85, verse 11, it says, Truth shall spring out of the earth, righteousness shall look down from heaven. What's another product of the prayer of revival? People see change together. We, we see the hand of God. We see something stir. We, we see something happen. We, we see a change, something sprung up. Hey, look what God did. Don't you want to be able to serve the Lord and tell your family, hey, look what God just did. Don't you want to be able to tell your kids, hey, we're, we're serving God and look what God just did. Verse number 12, he says, yea, the Lord shall give that which is good and our land shall yield her increase. What's another product of revival? People increase together. People increase together. Now, don't, 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 don't get into this thing that God doesn't care about fruit, and numbers and all those things. I'm not saying that it's all about the numbers. But God says, I want to give you increase. We find fruit. And, and the description of it all throughout Scripture, sometimes it's numerical. Sometimes it's people that are growing in the Lord. That's fruit as well. There's a lot of ways that God brings fruit. But the Lord says, I, I want to give you increase. You know what fruit does? It's pretty exciting. It's exciting to say, hey, guess what? i got to lead somebody to Christ today. Hey, guess what? I gotta, I gotta bring a new per person in on the bus today. Hey, guess what? We had a great Sunday school class today and decisions were made. Hey, we, we gotta work together and look, look what we accomplished as a church at the work day or in this ministry. Look what God, look how He gave the increase today. People see increase together. 
And then lastly, number 13, a product of the prayer of revival is this, that people trust together. Righteousness shall go before Him, watch this, and shall set us in the way of His steps. Puts ourselves in a place where we say, God, we're on Your path. And we're going to trust You to direct us. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God, I want You to direct my steps. And we're just going to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. People trust together. A product of the prayer is that, Lord, I'm going to get right with God and going to see God work and going to see an increase and, and we're going to see things turn and change. But ultimately, we're not just praying for today. We're praying because we trust you for today and tomorrow and every day until Christ comes back. I ask that you would simply just think about this maybe over the next couple of days and maybe you go home and you look through this and pray for yourself. God, help me to remember all of what you've done in my life. Not, not to wallow in sorrow and self-pity. But to remember that God saved you. That God gave you life. That God's given you more blessings than trials and it's not even close. God's been so good. And the Lord to pray, pray, turn me, change me, move me. God, help me in the present to get right with God. And the Lord, I want to make a decision to, to listen and to be holy so that God can work for the sake that we can see the product of what happens when people pray, will thou revive us again that we may glorify thy name? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from Regency Baptist Church. We pray that God has used this message to stir your heart for the gospel's sake. To get information about our ministry or to get in contact with us, please visit us at regencybaptistchurch.org. If you were encouraged by this Bible message, share it with a friend, contact us, or tune in next time to the Regency Baptist Church Preaching Podcast.